you guys have your Bibles, open up 2 Chronicles chapter 29. We get to start a study of a pretty uh, incredible character in the Bible. And probably, I, I don't want to say it too much, probably one of my favorite guys. His name is Hezekiah. There are several places in Scripture that talk about Hezekiah. Hezekiah is probably the man who the Lord uses to bring about, I'd say, arguably the greatest revival in the history of the nation of Israel. Um, from the time of Solomon, they have been in spiritual destruct mode. Man, everything they did <clears throat> was about getting further and further away from the Lord. And in fact, Ahaz, Hezekiah's dad, was the worst of all, leading up to Hezekiah. But one of the things we see about Hezekiah, his mom came from a fella named Zechariah. You guys heard of Zechariah before? Now, there's a lot of Zacharias in the Bible, but this one was a very godly man. Came from the priesthood. His, his daughter was a godly woman, so there, there must have been some kind of godly influence in Hezekiah's life, because his dad, Ahaz, had zero. <laughs> he, if, if they, if Ahaz knew God was on the right, he went to the left. Anything he could do to get away or, or go against whatever God said. In fact, Ahaz went so far against and was so angry with the Lord that he nailed the doors of the temple shut. And he, said, there's no more worship happening here. And they put up idols all over Jerusalem and all over the, the hills and the high places, and they worshiped the gods of the Canaanites. Well, the gods of the Canaanites were, well, demons, really. Uh, so that's what the God's people had spent the last several years doing. No different than the northern kingdom. When we come to chapter 29, the northern kingdom has ceased. They have been conquered by Assyria. In fact, they get conquered 150 years earlier than the southern kingdom. God gave them space and gave them time, an opportunity to repent. And they had Jehu come through that showed promise of some revival in the north, but it just never really got going, and eventually... People would show their true colors. And what they were really after was power, or prestige, or money, or fame. When Jesus came and He stood before the crowds at the Sermon on the Mount, there's a section in chapter 6 where He talks about the fact that you can't serve two masters. You love one, hate the other. You'd be loyal to one, despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. Mammon represented money. Now you could put anything you want there, because the reality is you can't serve God and anything else. Some of the hard sayings that Jesus had to give us was, unless a man would forsake all. We remember our Greek lessons, right? All means, yeah, not most, right? Except a man forsake all. They not fit for the kingdom of God. Man, that's that's challenging. And when we look at the lives of the kings, 
We see guys that the, the Bible describes as good guys, and they did well, but they had divided hearts. You guys remember those times? And they'll, they'll liken those kings to other kings. But if, the, if a guy had a devoted heart to God, then, then, the, then the word of God would describe that king as a man like David. A man whose heart... Now, you notice they didn't say a perfect guy, right? <clears throat> Being a, a, a person with a loyal heart to God, you know that has absolutely nothing to do with your performance. Do you understand that? Because David was a murderer, an adulterer, but he was called a man after God's own heart. Why? Because he was consistent in his desire to please God. So when a man would come to him, like Nathan, the prophet, and say to David, who was blinded by his own guilt and his own sin, and would say to him, a guy came into town and and he, he's a rich fellow. He's got lots of sheep. But he was having guests over and his neighbor has one ewe lamb. And that ewe lamb, he loves that ewe lamb. And that ewe lamb even eats at his table with him. And he was treated as part of his family. And when this guest came, they went and took that ewe lamb from that guy who only had one. He took it and killed it and fed it to his, <coughs> into, to his guests. And David said, What? Somebody's done that in my kingdom. That man shall die and pay four times for what he took. And Nathan said, David, you are that man. And David facing his guilt. Now other kings who face their guilt in similar situations by prophets kill the prophet. But David fell on his face before God and, and said, forgive me. I'm wrong. That's a man with an undivided heart. A man who will consistently go to the Lord in repentance. A man consistently, who doesn't live a perfect life, but is constantly going back, searching, seeking. If you seek me, he said in Jeremiah, if you seek me with your whole heart, you'll find me. You'll find me. But if you try to serve two masters, if you try to be two different places or two different people, then you're going to be frustrated. <laughs> you're going to be frustrated. And that was some of the struggles that kings had. But we look at Hezekiah in 29, Second <clears throat> Chronicles 29. Look what it says. So Hezekiah became king when he was 25 years old. <clears throat> and he reigned 29 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Abijah, the daughter of Zechariah. And he did what was right in the sight of the Lord according to all his father David had done. Hezekiah follows in the example of David. There's only going to be one other king that's going to be described that way. His name is Josiah. So Hezekiah... <clears throat> He wants to please God. You know how I know he wants to please God? It's kind of interesting. Because in verse 3, it says, In the first year of his reign. In the first month. So, he's become king. In the first year of his reign. In the very first month. He didn't establish his own power. He didn't establish the military. He didn't go around and take care of all these other things. The first thing he did is go pry open the doors of the temple. First thing. 
first thing on his heart was, man, we are messed up. And if we're going to get right, it doesn't have anything to do with power, and it doesn't have anything to do with the economy, and it doesn't have anything to do with all these other things. It has everything to do with our relationship with God. And we're not right with Him. So He pries open the doors. Look, it says He opened the doors of the house of the Lord and repaired them. He opened the doors of the house of the Lord and repaired them. Now, in Second Chronicles, the writer here writing to the, 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 the children of Israel, the southern kingdom, who are coming out of captivity from Babylon and are looking at rebuilding the land, he's, he's rehearsing their history. <coughs> and he rehearses their history from God's point of view. So it stays pretty focused on the positive things that are done. So it's going to talk a lot about the positive things that the Hezekiah did to, to bring about revival and a, and a change in the heart of his people. Second uh, Kings kind of deals with the, the negative things he did. Now negative, I don't mean the things he did wrong. I just mean the things that he did that you would look at as the things he took away and the positive things as the things he institutes. Are you guys with me? And then you have Isaiah, four chapters in the middle of Isaiah, and all the prophecies that Isaiah gives that focus on Hezekiah and what Hezekiah did. But just so we can have an idea of all the stuff that went on, just turn to the left in your Bibles to uh, 2 Kings 18. You don't got to go very far. It's a few pages. 2 Kings chapter 18. And we're just going to look at a couple of verses, probably from about verse 4. Through seven. So here's here's just the highlights of the things Hezekiah took away. It says in verse four, he removed the high places, and he broke the sacred pillars, and he cut down the wooden images, and he broke in pieces the bronze serpent that Moses had made. For until those days, the children of Israel burned incense to it and called it Nehushtan. You guys remember Nehushtan, the, the bronze serpent, when the children of Israel were getting bit by snakes and they're dying and Moses said, Lord, Lord, they're dying. And he tells them what to do. He says, take a bronze serpent, put it on a pole, lift it up, and everyone who looks at it will be healed. Jesus used that exact story to say in the same way, the Son of Man is going to be lifted up. And when He's lifted up, He'll draw all men to Himself. The same concept. When He's lifted up, when was He lifted up? He's lifted up on a cross. And He worked or wrought salvation for all who looked to Him. In the same way. But now they had been worshiping it. Bowing down. Is it possible to worship the cross today? Sure it is. It's possible to make an idol out of anything. Did the cross save us? We got crosses around here and a, a cool looking rusty metal cross that, that we have made for us and a wooden cross up there, but I'm not bound down and praying to those things. They're decorations. If you hang it around your neck, it's jewelry, but it don't save. They were worshiping Nehushtan. That means a bronze thing. It says in verse five, but he trusted in the Lord God of Israel. <clears throat> so that after him was none like him among all the kings of Judah, nor who were before him. Now this same statement is made of three guys. David, Hezekiah, and Josiah. It's a Hebrew idiom for saying this guy was the best thing since sliced bread. It's not intended to be taken literal. It's intended to be understood as, man, he is the best thing we've had for a long time. You guys with me? Uh, Hebrew idiom is a way of saying a figure of speech. 
like what I just used, the best thing since sliced bread. We're together. Understand what I mean? Nope, Jackie, I have no idea what you're talking about. So, for he held fast to the Lord. (laughs) He did not depart from following him, but kept his commandments which the Lord God had commanded Moses. And the Lord was with him. He prospered wherever he went, and he rebelled against the king of Assyria and did not serve him. Now, at the time when Hezekiah becomes king, remember I told you, the northern kingdom is conquered, and the southern kingdom is a vassal state. So they're really ruled by Assyria, a fellow named Shennacherib. Shennacherib, they found a pillar, the pillar of Shennacherib, that describes the various battles that he had with, with people during his reign. And that uh, mentions the battle he has with Judah and the, the battle he has with Israel. So we have a historical collaboration with what the Bible says is going on. <clears throat> so that's what Hezekiah comes into. And instead of focusing on that need, hey, we've we got a problem. We're being ruled over, having to pay tribute to Assyria. Instead of focusing on trying to figure out how to put the army together, he wants a revival. He wants the people's hearts right with God. Because ultimately, if anything's going to move forward, it's going to move forward because of that. It's not going to be because of a checkbook is a lousy way to keep score. Lousy way. Paul said, I have learned to be abased and I have learned to abound. I have learned to suffer need and to have everything I need. I've learned to be content in all things. It doesn't matter <coughs> how much we have or how little we have. How much we're suffering or, or the fact that we're enjoying a time of great prosperity. None of that shows an increase in God's love or a decrease in God's love in your life. The love that God showed you in your life is that when you were yet a sinner, Christ died for you. And when you had no reason to make a claim on God to do anything for you, He crossed divides we can't even imagine to be incarnate, become a child, raised, die on a cross, be raised again, and ascend to the Father's right hand. That shows us the love of God, not what we get or what we have. So our ability to have the things we need. Jesus told us in Matthew chapter 6, right? He said, look, don't worry about what you need. Don't worry about what you eat, what you drink, what you're going to wear. If we're honest, <clears throat> most of us worry about those things. What we're going to eat, what we're going to drink, how we're going to get by, what we're going to wear. Jesus said, don't worry about that. He said, rather... Seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. And what's the rest? And all these other things will be added unto you. That's what Jesus said. What's Hezekiah doing here? He's seeking God first, right? He's not worried about economic gain. He's not worried about military might. He's saying, we are messed up. We are not in a position where we're, where we're loving God. We're in rebellion against God. And he's going to talk about that. So the first act... Is to try to help people get right with God. So then it says, and the next thing he does, <clears throat> he pries open the doors, and then he brought in the priests and the Levites and gathered them in the east square. The east square. So he brings them in. <clears throat> now, what have all these priests and Levites been doing? Well, they haven't been working in the temple, right? So where do you reckon they've been working? They're still priests and Levites. So they're working the other altars. 
They're serving the other gods. For you to think that they were just sitting around hoping that somebody would come and cut them loose back into the temple, you're crazy. They had fallen into the same situation, the same sin everybody else had fallen into. And so he gathers them together. And he says, man, guys, we are messed up. He said to them, hear me. Sanctify yourselves. Sanctify the house of the Lord God of your fathers and carry out the trash from this holy place. Sanctify yourself. Sanctify means to be set apart or holy. Now, how are you going to make yourself holy? The whole lesson of the Old Testament is a lesson teaching us we we can't make ourselves holy. Best we can do is filthy rags. Isn't that what Isaiah said? The best you can do, whatever you do, your righteousness is as filthy rags. So what's he talking about? He says, sanctify yourself. He says, he wants them to separate themselves from what they've been about and set themselves apart to the Lord. You get what I'm saying? He wants them to separate themselves from what they've been doing, serving all these other idols, worshiping false gods. So he wants them to turn from that and turn toward the Lord. What's another word for that? To turn away from something and turn toward something. Repentance. That's not that hard to understand, right? Sanctify yourselves. That means repent. Fellas, we're in the wrong. This is not how God wants us to live. So repent. Sanctify yourselves. In the New Testament, we're challenged to do the same thing. uh, A slightly different. Sanctify the Lord God in your heart. And always be ready to give an answer to Him who asks you for the hope that is within you. Sanctify the Lord God in your heart. Oh. To set yourself apart to Him, that He is our primary focus, right? To forsake all for Him, <clears throat> to to lay hold of Him, to cling to Him with everything we have, the same thing, right? Sanctify the Lord God in your heart. Sanctify the Lord God. Separate yourself. Sanctify yourselves and sanctify the house of the Lord God. Now, how can they make the house of the Lord God holy? Well, that's a little bit easier. He tells us what the problem is. What do they got to take out of there? What have they been using the temple for? A dump. They've been dumping their trash there. It's not the only time in history. Do you know when they came to Israel, when when Jerusalem, when they were first looking for and, and, and laying out the holy places in Jerusalem... Way back at Constantine, you guys remember Constantine, you heard about him before, right? Roughly around the 3rd century, 300s. Constantine, people are starting to find the holy places, the the same places we go to today where they got churches set up. (coughs) Well, as they're setting all that up, you know what? Nobody cared about the temple. Who cared about the temple? Nobody. The Jews weren't there, they were dispersed. So they turned the Temple Mount into the dump. Until a Muslim fellow came by and said, Hey, can I have that? 
Sure, you want to buy the dump? Knock yourself out. So he bought the dump. <clears throat> and when he bought the dump, what went up? The Dome of the Rock. The Muslim's third most holy site. Built over the rock where Abraham offered his son. Mm, but that's the right one. But they say who? Ishmael. Ishmael. It was the dump then. It was despised. They just threw their garbage there. Can you imagine that? I mean, if you get a chance to go to Israel, one of the great places, great opportunities when it's open is to be able to go up on the Temple Mount and to walk around up there. And I don't even care about the Dome of the Rock. It's not in the way. I don't need to be anywhere by it. I head to the Dome of the Spirits. You guys been there before? Dome of the Spirits? It's a, still a <clears throat> Muslim site. They built the dome. Why they call it the Dome of the Spirits? Kind of interesting, isn't it? Built over bedrock. Solid rock. If you have a Jewish guide, they won't take you there. They won't walk anywhere near it. In fact, they don't really like being up on top of the, of the um, temple site, the mount. They don't like being up there. Why? They don't want to step in the place where the Holy of Holies was. The Holy of Holies probably built right over a piece of bedrock. And it just so happens, this little piece of bedrock, that nobody spends a lot of time around, has a dome of the spirits over it. And you know what it's right in line with? It's right in line with the Eastern Gate. Also called the Golden Gate. The gate through which Jesus came and the gate through which he will come again. And scripture seems to indicate that the temple would open up and you could look right out the eastern gate. Now, that's not the eastern gate of Jesus' time, but it is built right over top of the eastern gate of Jesus' time. Interesting. Maybe that's the spot. We don't know. We don't know. But it was a dump for Hezekiah's day. The courtyard where they would gather for all their social mixing and getting together was full of trash. Full of trash. Think about the worst pile of trash you've ever seen. <clears throat> I've seen some pretty bad piles of trash. <laughs> I have a rental. <laughs> I can't wait to get rid of. But nonetheless, occasionally, man, I might have to spend... Two, three days hauling garbage out. They spent eight days just on the courtyard hauling trash. And then eight days hauling trash out of the temple. It's a lot of garbage, right? Sixteen days. Now, admittedly, they didn't have a truck to do it, but they had a lot more people. They had a lot of people helping out. So he says, sanctify yourself. I want the trash. I want the rubbish out of the holy place. Look at verse 6. <clears throat> For our fathers, Hezekiah owns it, our fathers have trespassed and done evil in the eyes of the Lord our God. And they have forsaken Him and have turned their faces away from the dwelling place of the Lord and turned their backs on Him. They have shut up the doors of the vestibule or the temple. They've shut the doors and put out the lamps 
And they're not burning incense or offering burnt offerings in the holy place to the God of Israel. Nothing's been happening. Therefore the wrath of God fell upon Judah and upon Jerusalem. And He has given them up to trouble, to desolation, and to jeering. As you see with your eyes, for indeed, because of this, our fathers have fallen by the sword. Our sons and our daughters and our wives are in captivity. Do you remember way back when Solomon built the temple? you remember all the stuff he, he told them about? You're about to see a lot of it happen. If we, if we just flip back a couple of verses in 2 Chronicles chapter 7, you have Solomon's prayer of dedication at the temple. It was like a year ago when we were there, I think. But they, they celebrate and the feast goes on for, for two weeks. It says in, the, in verse 12, The Lord appeared to Solomon by night and said to him, I have heard your prayer, and I have chosen this place for myself as a house of sacrifice. So when I shut up heaven, you remember when we talked about that in chapter 7, verse 13, it didn't say, if I shut up heaven. What did it say? When. So God's telling them, I'm going to let you know how you'll know we're not okay. When I shut up heaven and there's no rain, or command the locusts to devour the lamb, or send pestilence among my people... If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, I will hear from heaven, forgive their sin, and heal their land. Man, God told Solomon back in chapter 7, things are going to happen. People are going to mess up. But if you repent, you and me will be okay. And that's what Hezekiah is recognizing. Look at verse 10 of of chapter 29. He says, Now, it is in my heart to make a covenant with the Lord. Now, a covenant, anytime you see that word, it's a big word. It means, I intend to make God a promise. Right? I'm going to make Him a promise. What's the promise? I'm going to make a promise with the Lord God of Israel that His fierce wrath may turn away from us. My sons, do not be negligent now, for the Lord has chosen you to stand before Him and serve Him, that you should minister to Him and burn incense. Now, don't forget who He's talking to. The priests, right? The Levites who have been worshiping and helping people worship other gods, false gods. So so now they're saying, look, don't be negligent, guys. Get your hearts right. God has chosen you to be the people who are ministering, to be the people who are taking the sacrifices and, and teaching people about the ways of the Lord. You're the guys. So it gives us a list of names. Not too many. It gives us a list of names. And these Levites arose. Mahath, the son of Amasai, and Joel, the son of Azariah, the sons of the Kohathites. And of the sons of Merari, Kish, the son of Abdi, and Azariah, the son of Jehiliel. Of the Gershonites, Joah, the son of Zimah, and Eden, the son of Joah. And the sons of Elizaphan, Shimri, and Jeel. Of the sons of Asaph, Zechariah, and Mataniah. Of the sons of Hermon, Jehiel, and Shimei. And of the sons of Jeduthun, Shimei, and Uziel. <clears throat> and they gathered their brethren and sanctified themselves. It's not a lot of guys, right? Now there's more probably that weren't named. 
But we'll see that they don't have quite enough for what God's going to start doing for them. But sometimes people come around slow. Have you guys ever noticed that? Sometimes repentance starts with a few. Or a revival begins with a handful before it begins to spread, before the fires begin to spread to others. And so, here's what we see. These guys <clears throat> gathered together with their brethren and sanctified themselves and went according to the commandment of the king at the words of the Lord to cleanse the house of the Lord. So they start working on the temple. And the priests went into the inner part of the house of the Lord to cleanse it and brought out all the debris that they found in the temple of the Lord to the court of the house of the Lord. And the Levites took it out and carried it to the brook Kidron. At the brook Kidron was their dump. That's where they threw away all the idols. That's where the blood from the sacrifices would drain. That's why Kidron means murky. A lot of people think it's because the water was murky as a result of the sacrifices that they would call it. Brook Kidron's really small. I have jumped across it. Now, it might have been bigger back then, but it's not a really big brook. It's like any one of the creeks we would see around here. So, so they have this brook, and they're taking all the trash out of the temple, and they're and they're throwing it down in the brook Kidron. It's kind of a, a, a like a little gorge. It's not really even all that big, but they're throwing the trash down in that. It says, Now, <clears throat> they began to sanctify on the first day of the first month, and on the eighth day of the month they came to the door. So it took them eight days working their way through the court to be able to get to the door of the temple. Isn't that crazy? There's a pile of junk in the way, right? A lot of garbage to move. And then they sanctified the house of the Lord in eight days. So it took them eight days to get to the door and eight days to clean out the house. So on the 16th day of the first month, they finished. Now, here's what we know about the 16th day of the first month. Passover is over. Passover is over. Passover is the 14th. The, the end of the feast of Passover. So they're, they, they've missed it. Passover has passed. But now they got the temple ready. And so it said they went to King Hezekiah and said, We cleansed all the house of the Lord, the altar of burnt offerings, with all its articles, the table of showbread and its articles. Moreover, all the articles which King Ahaz in his reign cast aside in his transgression. We prepared and sanctified. And there they are before the altar of the Lord. And King Hezekiah... What's the next two words? Rose early. What does God want from us? Does He want your leftovers? Or does He want first fruit? God doesn't want leftovers. He doesn't want to be the afterthought of our day. He wants to be the forethought of our day. He wants to be that person that we want to meet with first in the morning. Proverbs tells all throughout the Scripture, Jesus in His ministry, does the Bible say at noon He decided to take a break and then go talk to God? What's the Bible say? He rise early, a long time before morning, a long time before sunrise, so that He could go and pray and spend time with His Father. Same thing Hezekiah is doing here. He got up early gathered the rulers of the city and went up to the house of the Lord. And they brought seven bulls. That they is talking about the king 
and the rulers of the city. So this basically is, is the government, the king's family and the guys who are <coughs> alongside him in Jerusalem. So they brought seven bulls, seven rams, seven lambs, seven male goats for a sin offering for the kingdom, for the sanctuary, for Judah. And he commanded the priests and the sons of Aaron to, to offer them on the altar of the Lord. So they come. All the people aren't there yet. It's just the king and his people. But he wants to offer an offering for the sins of the nation. Now as king, can he do that? Well, sure he can. He really is a representative for the nation. So he's going to offer a sin offering. Now he's also going to call the people, and and they're going to come. But here in the beginning, it's just him. It's got to start with somebody, right? So the king comes and says, They killed the bulls. Who killed the bulls? In this case, it's the king and his rulers. That they refers to the king and his rulers. They killed them. So what would happen is, each man would bring his offering for the Passover, and they would kill the offering. They would lay their hands on it, kill the offering, and then hand the blood and the animal to the priest. And the priest would divvy it up, put what was supposed to be put on the offering, take the blood and sprinkle it on the altar, take it in and offer it inside the temple for the different things that they would offer it for. So in this case, the king is doing it and the guys that are with him. But look <coughs> look what happens. Not only they they killed the bulls and the priests received the blood and sprinkled it on the altar. Likewise, they killed the rams and sprinkled the blood on the altar. They also killed the lambs and sprinkled the blood on the altar. Then they brought out the male goats for the sin offering before the king and the assembly and they laid their hands on them. So they brought out the sin offering, the the offering that was a picture of their sin. And the king and the rulers all put their hands on it. And in a manner of speaking, transfer their sin to that animal. That's the whole picture of Christ in all the offerings anyway. But they lay their hands and confess their sins. And then that sin offering is slain. It dies and it's blood The Bible says, without the shedding of blood, there is what? No remission of sin. It's got to be blood. The writer of Hebrews tells us that it's impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away our sin. All it provided was a covering. It was applied to the charge account. It was charged to Jesus Christ. It was them believing in faith that one day God would give a sacrifice and they were the symbol or the picture of the sacrifice that God would provide through His Son. He told Abraham way back in Genesis 22, didn't he? Abraham said, Yahweh Yideh, the Lord shall provide Himself the Lamb. The one day God would be the Lamb for the people. Well, it says the priest killed them and they presented the blood on the altar as a sin offering to make an atonement for all of Israel. For the king commanded that the burnt offering and the sin offering be made for all of Israel. And he stationed the Levites in the house of the Lord with cymbals, with stringed instruments, with harps, according to the commandment of David, and Gad, the king's seer, and of Nathan the prophet. For thus was the commandment of the Lord by his prophets. And the Levites stood with instruments of David, and the priests, and the trumpets. And Hezekiah commanded them to offer the burnt offerings on the altar. And when the burnt offering began, the song 
of the Lord also began. And the trumpets and the instruments of David, the king of Israel. So they start worshiping as soon as the burnt offering goes up. Now the burnt offering was not an offering you had to give. Sin offering was an offering you had to give. Trespass offering. But the burnt offering, that was voluntary. A burnt offering spoke of being wholly consecrated to God. That's why in Romans, in Romans chapter 12, it says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice. That sacrifice is a picture of being wholly consecrated to God. If you are on the altar as this sacrifice, you're committed, right? Uh, you're burning, all of you. Every bit. So, And you're burned up. Totally and completely. The idea is that of uh, utter and complete surrender to God. And so as soon as that surrender begins, as soon as that offering is being offered, everybody, all the, all the worshipers, they start worshiping, start singing songs, they start praising God. It tells us which ones. So all the assembly worshiped, uh, the singers sang, the trumpeters sounded, and this continued until the burnt offering was finished. So that takes a while, right? So they're singing, this worship service is going on. And when they finished offering to the king and to all who were present with him, they bowed in worship. Moreover, Hezekiah and the leaders commanded the Levites, uh, sing praise to the Lord with the words of David and of Asaph the seer. So where do we find the words of David and Asaph? The Psalms. So they're singing the Psalms. The Psalms of of the Word. They're singing those um, and they sang praises with gladness, and they bowed their heads in worship. Then Hezekiah answered and said, Now that you have consecrated yourselves to the Lord, come near and bring sacrifices and thank offerings to the house of the Lord. So the assembly brought in sacrifices and thank offerings, and as many as were of a willing heart brought burnt offerings. And the number of the burnt offerings which the assembly brought was 70 bulls, 100 lambs, 200 lambs, uh, All these were for the burnt offering to the Lord. The consecrated things were 600 bulls and 3,000 sheep, but the priests were too few. Remember, there wasn't too many guys who who stood up, right? There were not so many priests. The priests were slow to kind of get charged up about what God was doing and to change their ways so that they could not skin all the burnt offerings. Therefore, the brethren, the Levites, helped. By the way, that was against... The ceremonial rules. Only the priests could be a part of that. But here, the ceremonial rules kind of go out the window. Because more than the ceremonial rules, God is concerned about the heart. He's concerned about the heart. What is the heart? And so, they help. It says, therefore their brethren the Levites helped them until the work was ended. And until the other priests had sanctified themselves. So now, once they see all this stuff going on, revival's taking place, now all the priests are saying, man, we need to get right. This, we're not in the right place. So they're, they're also setting themselves apart, repenting, getting right with God, coming back so that they can be a part of what's going on. <coughs> For the Levites were more diligent in sanctifying themselves than the priests. So the Levites were quick to repent, quick to come back to the Lord. The priests were a little bit slow. Also, the burnt offerings were in abundance. 
with the fat of the peace offerings and the drink offerings and the burnt offerings. So the service of the house of the Lord was set in order. And Hezekiah and all the people rejoiced that God had prepared the people since the events took place so suddenly. He did it in the first month of the first year. It was accomplished by the 16th of Nisan, which is the 16th day of the first month of the first year, which indicates that they started cleaning the first day Hezekiah was king. First day of the first month, month of Nisan. He started, man, that's a... He probably hadn't even put his crown on his head yet. And he's begun. He started working. He's setting these things. It happened suddenly. The whole thing is accomplished within three weeks. Man, that's crazy. The hearts of the people are turned. Things are starting to happen. Things are starting to look up. But Hezekiah is not done yet. Because he wants the people to know that God wants you to return and be redeemed. Now, where else have we heard that concept before? We've heard that in Revelation. In Revelation. Let's flip over to Revelation. It's easy to find. It's the last book in the Bible. <clears throat> Revelation. Revelation. A lot of people are afraid of Revelation, but Revelation is not really a very hard book to understand. The word Revelation or the Apocalypso, it is the unveiling of Jesus Christ. That's what it means, to unveil. So it's the unveiling of Jesus Christ. Chapter 1, we have a vision of the unveiling of Jesus Christ. Chapter 2 and 3, we have seven letters to seven churches, a report card from Jesus to the churches of that day on how they're doing. Chapter 4 and 5, you see the church in heaven. Chapter 6, you see the beginning of the tribulation period. Chapter 19, you see the return of Jesus Christ and the end of the tribulation period. Chapter 20, you have the kingdom age of Jesus Christ, a thousand years ruling and reigning on earth, and we will be together with Him. Uh, chapter 21 and 22, a new heaven and a new earth, and we all live happily ever after. That's not so hard, is it? It's not so tough. And chapter 2, in, in the report card to the churches, we have the very first one, a letter to the church at Ephesus. Listen. So to the angel, the messenger of the church of Ephesus, write, These things says he who holds the seven stars in his right hand and walks in the midst of the seven gold lampstands. That's a picture of the, of the vision in chapter 1. It's Jesus Christ holding the seven stars, which represent the seven angels or the seven pastors of the seven churches. And the lampstands represent the light reflected through the Holy Spirit in the churches that Jesus is caring for. It talks about His authority and His care as He's walking in the midst of all those things. He says, look, I know your works, your labor, your patience, that you cannot bear those who are evil, and you have tested those who say <coughs> they are apostles and are not, and have found them to be liars, and you have persevered and have patience and have labored for my name's sake, and have not become weary. So they've been faithful. They've been dedicated. They've shown discernment. Nevertheless, I have this against you. You have, what's that word? Left your first love. They're busy. But they're not busy with the Lord. They're just busy. 
Their focus isn't on Him. Their focus is other things. So here's what Jesus tells them. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen. Same thing Hezekiah is doing. Hey, guys, the temple's full of trash and garbage, and, and this is not how it's supposed to be. Remember when Solomon was here? Remember when David was here? Remember when we used to worship and sing and, and God's favor was on the people? Remember from where you have fallen. Repent. That's what we talked about. Sanctify yourselves, right? Change your direction. Turn around from the idols you're worshiping and turn toward the God you desire to worship. Repent and do your first works. Do the things you used to do when you were following the Lord. Remember, repent, return. Remember, repent, return. We've seen two of those in chapter 29. Remember, repent. Now he's going to ask him for one more. <clears throat> if we look back at chapter 30, it says, And Hezekiah sent to all of Israel and Judah, and also wrote letters to Ephraim and Manasseh, that they should come to the house of the Lord at Jerusalem to keep the Passover to the Lord God of Israel. He says, man, we need to celebrate the Passover. Well, the Passover was the, that's the main holiday for Israel, Right? The Passover that celebrates the fact that the death angel passed over the children of Israel who had marked the doorposts, right? They had dipped into the blood and they had struck the doorposts, the head and the sides. You guys remember, right? Exodus, children of Israel passing out. Now, I tend to think that they did that with the doors closed because they're not going to want to sprinkle that blood all over their living room. So they close the door. And I think they they dip the hyssop into the blood. Right? They dip it into the blood, and I think they struck the side. And they dipped it in the blood, and they struck that side. And they dipped it in the blood, and they struck the head. And that was the mark that they passed over. What was left on the door? A cross. cross left on the door passover most important time when when did jesus die and he's the passover lamb right then that seems kind of fitting right they want to celebrate passover you see where hezekiah sent to remember i told you the northern kingdoms conquered and they're in assyria but hezekiah don't care he sent to them and said come home return and let's celebrate passover but Hezekiah, Passover is over. You missed it. You know, I think we get way too hung up on dates. You ever get hung up on dates? Well, people argue still about dates, right? What, what, what's the, the day, how many days was Jesus buried and in the ground? Or how many days, when did it start? Was it a Wednesday or a Thursday? Was it a Friday? You know, how that all work? How's that all fit? People arguing about them still. But the Passover's over. They missed the Passover. They're going to be a couple weeks. Actually, they're going to go to the next month and celebrate the Passover a month late. Do you think it made God mad? They didn't do the date right? I think he's pretty stoked that they're getting back on track. And I think we'll see that 
when we look at the celebration and what happens. So he goes up there. Now, Northern Kingdom, they're not been buddies. Things haven't been okay. It says, For the king and his leaders and all the assembly in Jerusalem had agreed to keep the Passover in the second month. <coughs> For they could not keep it at the regular time because a sufficient number of priests had not been consecrated. Them stinking priests. They would not get right with God. And so they had to wait another month. Yeah, I don't really mean that. I'm just glad they got right with God at all. Some folks, it takes longer. Every once in a while, you ever done this? Every once in a while, I look back at my life. And I know I'm sure most of you guys don't probably deal with any regrets. Your, your life has been put together pretty good. And so, but I go to bed some nights and I lay in bed and it will suffocate me. Regret. I don't get to go back. I don't get to go back. Maybe it took me a long time to get right with God. And 17 years washed under the bridge in the meantime. I'm just glad I got back. I don't want to focus on how long it took me. <laughs> I want to focus on I'm, I'm back. It's good. We're, we're in a good place. <clears throat> so, look what happens. The matter pleased the whole king... So they resolved to make a proclamation throughout all Israel from Beersheba to Dan. That's the same thing as saying from the top to the bottom. Beersheba was the southernmost. Dan was the northernmost tribe. You guys with me? So it's in the whole country, the the real country of Israel, not just Judah. (coughs) So they resolved to make a proclamation throughout all Judah from from Beersheba to Dan that they should come to keep the Passover to the Lord God of Israel at Jerusalem since they had not done it for a long time. You know the last time they had Passover? Solomon. That was a long time ago. Had not celebrated Passover in a long time. Then the runners went throughout all Israel and Judah with letters from the king and his leaders spoke according to the commandment of the king, children of Israel, return to the Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and and Israel, and he will return to the remnant of you who have escaped from the hand of the kings of Assyria. Don't be like your fathers and your brethren who trespassed against the Lord God of their fathers so that he gave them up for desolation as you see. Now do not be stiff-necked like your fathers were. But yield. Surrender. A lot of times in places in Scripture, the Bible talks about choosing. And we talk sometimes about choosing life. We're making a commitment to the Lord. But that's too simple a word. God really doesn't want your commitment. Commitments are not very strong. Right? Some, some days I'm committed to a diet. Some days I'm not. Some days I'm committed to exercise. Well, it's been a long time. But maybe one day I'll be committed to exercise. And uh, we'll see how long that lasts. God doesn't want your commitment. He wants your surrender. That's why I said, do not be stiff-necked, but yield. What does it mean to yield? Give up. Give up. Surrender yourselves to the Lord and enter His sanctuary 
which he has sanctified forever, and serve the Lord your God, that the fierceness of his wrath may be turned away from you. For if you return to the Lord, your brethren and your children will be treated with compassion by those who led them captive, so that they may come back to this land. For the Lord your God is gracious and merciful and will not turn His face from you if you return to Him. So the runners passed from city to city through the country of Ephraim and Manasseh as far as Zebulun, but they laughed at them and mocked them. And God reached out all the way to the end. Return to me. And I'll take care of you. But they would not. Nevertheless, some from Asher and Manasseh and Zebulun humbled themselves and came to Jerusalem. And also the hand of God was on Judah to give them singleness of heart. To obey the command of the king and the leaders at the word of the Lord. Wow. Just because they wanted to get right with God, God gave them singleness of heart. That's that thing we were looking for, right? Not to have a divided heart. Not to serve two masters. (coughs) Singleness of heart. Coming back to the king and saying, Man, I want to be all yours. I messed up. The Bible said God gave him the singleness of heart. You don't got to manufacture it. You get it? You just have to want it. If you want it, He'll give it to you. The Bible says, No good thing will the Lord withhold from you. Is having singleness of heart a good thing? Having the heart of David a good thing? All you got to do is ask. You have not because you ask not. All you got to do is ask. To want it. And the Lord gives it. To want the power of the Holy Spirit working in your life, the Lord gives it. To want to walk with Him and be who God wants you to be, the Lord gives it. You can't make it happen. If you could make it happen, you'd already be there. All you have to do is choose to want it. To surrender our will and desires and ask Him to give us the things we need. Amen? Why don't you stand with me? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord God, we thank You for this time we can spend before You, God. I just pray, Lord Jesus, that we would lay hold of the things that You're laying out in Your Word. Father, that we would lay hold of Your truth Hezekiah was a great man, not because he just happened to be born great, or not because God randomly blessed him. He had a desire in his heart. (coughs) He wanted to delight in the Lord his God. I know because he started the first day. I want to delight in you, Lord. For the man who delights in the Lord will have the desires of his heart. God, I just I just am so blessed by the, the truth of Your Word, watching Your people remember from where they have fallen and repenting from where they are and returning 
back to you. Everything you explain to us in the New Testament, you show us in the Old. It's just there. We just have to want to see it. We just have to want to recognize what you're doing. God, everything we need is found in you and through you and by you and for you. So God, I pray, Lord, I pray, God, that we would come to you. If we find ourselves in a place where we are thinking, man, (coughs) I remember how I used to be. Then all we have to do is repent and return to the Lord. And he will give us singleness of heart. He will give us the strength we need for the journey. He will give us the love we need with which we are to love one another. He will give us the joy we need that people would know that the joy of the Lord is our strength. There is nothing that God asks us to have in our life that He does not give to us. He gives it all. And then He asks us to forsake it all for Him. God, I pray that would be our heart, that we would remember, that we would know the many blessings with which you have blessed us. That we would know, God, that we can spend a lifetime remembering your goodness and your mercy and your amazing grace. God, I pray that you would just open our eyes and our ears, Lord, that we would respond to your direction and that we would glorify you as we are satisfied with you as we delight in you God that you Lord would be glorified in us God we pray that we would grasp the lesson of Hezekiah And we would walk with you all the days of our life. And for that we give you praise and glory in Jesus' name. Amen.